Hannah Young, and you're listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Isnick, sponsored by Philanthropic Impact. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Usnick. Today, we're going to have the privilege of being in conversation with someone who has been a beacon for economic opportunity, inclusivity, and community growth, particularly here in my adopted hometown of New York. Brandy McHale is the head of community investing and development at City and the president of the City Foundation, and she joins us today. City, for those of you who don't know, is probably the world's largest bank, global bank, with over 100 companies in its, its representation, and we're going to hear about as much of that as we can today. With um, over three decades of experience in financial services and philanthropy sectors, Brandy's path and the initiative she's championed are both inspiring and illuminating. So let's just jump right into it. Welcome to the Caring Economy, Brandy McHale. Thank you. I appreciate being here and uh, I appreciate the opening, a beacon. I, I love that. That's a, that's a great term and I hopefully I will live up to that introduction. I love it. And you've got your little city. Uh, the background of your drop has the um, your backdrop has the big tower down below. So it's a beacon next to a beacon. Yes. Uh, Brandy, tell us a little bit. I always ask the guests to tell us a little bit, maybe two, three minute digest of their life, how they got where they got, maybe where they were raised or how they were raised or how they found their career trajectory. So give us a little overview, if you would, of Brandy McHale. So I, I think probably the most important thing I can say, and probably won't come as a surprise to you like many others, I never imagined I would be here. Um, I never imagined I'd be looking out the window at the view that I have. I never imagined I'd be, you know, um, having a career in a global a financial services company that works in over 100 countries. Um, but I am here. And that's, that's really what, what drives has driven me um, a lot of my career and a lot of the choices I've made. So why am I so surprised? Um, I, you know, I come, I didn't grow up in the, in a big city. Um, I grew up uh, outside of New Haven, Connecticut in a small, you know, suburb. Um, I'm the first in my family to go to college. I'm also though, the first in my family to not graduate high school and to get a GED diploma. Um, and so when I was younger, um, I made some choices that I would definitely be very angry at my own children that they, um, <laughs> if they made those choices. And I basically you know, took myself off of a path that was the expected path to be on. Mm -hmm. And with a lot of hard work and supportive people, I went back to school, got a GED, finished college, and somehow you know, with a little bit of, of that hard work combined with a lot of luck, um, I ended up going to graduate school in New York City, and I saw this posting for a summer, summer internship in the Citibank Community Relations Division, and somehow one thing led to another. I say all that for two reasons. One is, one of the things I remember um, the most uh, is probably the, one of the most defining moments is I remember opening the front door to this building mm -hmm. when I came in and thinking, wow, I can't believe I'm here and do I actually belong? Mm, and then, yeah, yeah, oh, hundred percent. And then the second thing that I remember um, uh, thinking is, how is it that I actually was able to get here? Why is it that I was able to get back on a path to opportunity and yet 
um, for far too many uh, people around me, that was not the case. So a lot of um, wonderment, bewilderment, uh, a lot of um, thinking about why are things the way that they are, but also at the same time, not letting those questions and that imposter syndrome stop me. Can you say if you had like an epiphany or an aha moment where you said, I got to get back on track or because mm-hmm. there's plenty of us who've had different moments in life. And it's one thing to acknowledge when you're in a situation like that. It's another thing to actually take the initiative to course correct, so to speak. And I'm not yeah. say the best word, but we'll use that. Yeah. Well, I think that's exactly what it was, was a, was a course correction. And for me, um, you know, there were two, two things that occurred. One is I was incredibly lucky. I come from a family that had a small business. And when I decided that I wasn't, you know, going back to school, my grandmother actually said to me, great, no problem. Come to work with me every single day. And I really learned, I think, everything I know about business from my grandmother and grandfather who owned, again, a family, a small family owned business Uh Um, that also meant working six days a week. I didn't get any breaks. I had to work as hard as everybody else did. Um, But I really, really learned about not just the value of hard work, but about how the choices you have to make. And um, in that experience, what happened was that my family did not see me as a liability. They actually saw me as an asset. And I began to feel that way about myself. And then second thing happened, which is that I started to volunteer in my community. And I did it in part because I was sort of searching for, you know, how could I, how could I give back? I liked that feeling of feeling like I was an asset. Mm-hmm. And I ended up, again, hard work and a lot of luck. Um, I had found a mentor who had been the former mayor of the city of New Haven, who was also a volunteer with the same organization. And they kept giving me more and more responsibility. And one day, he said something to me that I say often to the people that I work with. And actually, I say to my own children, he said, um, I, my greatest wish for you is that you could see yourself the way I see you. Wow. And those were really powerful words. Hmm. And it just helped me to build this sense of self-efficacy. And again, to see that, you know, I, I had the ability to take that different path. And again, I think meeting him was really a, a turning point in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing like DNA strands visualizing your life where you've got the, the career trajectory happening largely because your grandparents and your family's expectations of you, they're not going to indulge any kind of pity or, or exactly. self. Uh, and then the, the serving others piece, and that has seemingly been the DNA that it, it makes you the perfect person for what you're doing today. And so your, your whole career really, after you left the family business, has been with City. Yeah, I mean, I, I did a few things, um, you know, in between, again, in these moments of like, you know, I've had, had you know, these moments where people said, oh, well, hey, Brandy can do this. So I continued to volunteer. I then um, got into the nonprofit world. Actually, I, uh, my first role was actually in the environmental side. I helped to organize this huge 20th anniversary celebration of Earth Day um, and, and put on this big event. Never had no idea how to, how to do events and how to manage volunteers and do all these things. But those community volunteer experiences really helped me to 
develop my project management skills oh, yeah. um, in a in a very fast and a very big way. But the volunteer work that I did that really was life changing for me was I worked um, with an organization called Youth at Risk, mm-hmm. and was volunteering with young people and supporting young people who were not that much younger than me. I mean, they were only a couple of years younger than me, but it was really clear to me that I had this social capital. I had my family. I had this, I had begun to build this network Mm -hmm. of individuals in my community. And I realized how incredibly powerful that was. And again, it was there that I just began to see that for far too many young people, there are just more off ramps in life than there are on ramps. And I just decided that what I wanted to do was to be an on ramp builder. Now, um, that's a great um, metaphor as well, the the ramps. But before I, I want to ask you about the foundation work. But first, I have to ask you what I ask guests often, which is tell us about your sibling. Are you one of many? Are you an only child? Like how? Oh. How did the rest of them turn out? Um, we have I I the women in my family. We are we are powerful women. I I have to say, um, I have one sibling. I have an older sister, and um, you know a lot of. The reason why I've I've been able to, I think, succeed and do the things I've been able to do is because when I do have that imposter syndrome moment, she is my phone a friend and I call her up and she, you know, she says to me, you know, who's scaring you? And then most of the time she usually says, you're being ridiculous. Get going. But um, yeah, she's she's a huge support system. That's a great big sister. Good for you. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about city. So you've been there a while, but, and there's two parts to your title, right? This uh, city impact, I'm uh, sorry, um, city foundation, and then you have the um, uh, uh, in, investing, right? So yep. investing in development. So can you describe briefly yeah. both tranches of your portfolio? Yeah. So one of the, I started my career on the community relations and philanthropy side. Mm-hmm. And again, I never imagined I'd be working in a large bank, Um, but I began to realize that what we were doing in the community development field was really trying to change the flow of capital into underserved communities. And philanthropy is necessary, but insufficient. And it was right around this time in the early 90s that this idea of what is the role of the private sector in society and in particular in community development. And there really was a critical role for banks to play in helping to finance social change work. And so that's the whole idea behind our community investing and development function is that we think about having a set of a full toolkit. What are the range of tools we have available across the bank? There are some tools that we manage directly through the community investing function that includes the philanthropy of the city foundation, our impact investing, our equity investing, we do through the city impact fund, and we can talk about that. Mm. Um, Our uh, employee volunteerism and engagement work, the thought leadership work. I think the real secret sauce of our, our, the real strength in our toolkit, and like sort of, I I think, always think of it as the the power cord, how Mm. are we gonna really rev things up is by, looking at not just what we have under direct management, but how do we engage with the other parts of the company? How do we engage with the other pieces of the business? Mm. We all have the same North Star, 
just how do you continue to drive capital and positive social impact in places that have been characterized by disinvestment for, for decades. Mm-hmm. And so you do it a little bit by the art of persuasion and perhaps, um, I don't know, maybe have some carrots and sticks as well. Do you, for example, do you help your colleagues try and bake goals into their annual reviews that could be helpful or additive to your work? I, I really like what you said about thinking about this as carrots and sticks. And I do sort of keeping it real. I think you have to have to do this work, this, this balanced approach, especially in the ESG landscape that we're working in right now. And so, you know, we, I've personally always liked to lead with the carrot. What is, what is the value that can be derived from this? What's the Mm win-win? And I see the social impact work really as, um, and the economic opportunity work, work really as smart business. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't like to think of low-income communities and low-income markets. Somebody I, I work for once said to me, um, no, we think about those as, as sort of the, the emergent um, opportunity affluent. You know, these are- Operational, yes. <laughs> yeah, right. So let's think about it. And again, it's a theme. Let's not think of this as a deficit. Let's not think of this as a liability, yeah. but think of it as an opportunity and an asset. But we also have regulatory obligations and requirements that we need to fulfill. And then we increasingly have the expectations of shareholders and other external stakeholders mm-hmm. um, that have, you know, that have evolving expectations about the role of the private sector in, in society. Yeah. So a lot of what we do is make a business case for social impact work. And I, you know, when I first started my career, I think I used to think of this as a vertical. How would we build the vertical? How would we get more investment into the vertical? And the big game changer for me came, you know, maybe a a little bit less than 10 years ago, but really in the past three to four years, say, no, this is a horizontal. Mm -hmm. And we've got to have all the pieces of the company focused on this and building in, building this into our core strategies. Yeah. You know, when I built the corporate social responsibility program at Christie's, my sort of operating, um, because I was a small team of me and one deputy and a couple of interns. um, So I had to use the art of persuasion. And to this day, I think my goal was really to help present my colleagues as the heroes in the narrative. How can you be against this, right? If we get you out to volunteer, to share your knowledge, to, to think a little bit more broadly about these things. And it really served us well, because how could you be against it, right? Um, uh, so the the economy that we're in, the community, the world we're in now is very polarizing at times. And so you say you make the business case for the work that you do, but where are you institutionally or you just personally, even if it's easier for you to answer on the ESG and these these constant debates about woke or, or mm-hmm. not? I mean, do you even take the bait? It's kind of hard sometimes to not, be pulled into that, I would imagine. Well, I'll just uh, say a couple things. One is I am incredibly proud to work for a company that um, hasn't been afraid, um, you know, doesn't doesn't ever want to stay on the sidelines of of anything. We want to be thoughtful. Mm -hmm. We want to be strategic. And so, you know, cities 
we're not new to this work. We've been doing this for a long time. We have a very, very long track record. So we have a lot of support for this work. But, you know, I, I'll share with you and anybody else who's, who's listening what I, I said to my team privately, and this is an exact quote. I hope it's um, saying it the same exact way. I said, we no longer have the luxury of saying, if we only had the attention of senior leaders at the company or external stakeholders on these issues, then we, if we only had the attention and everybody realizing that this stuff is really important, then we could really do more. Well, guess what? We have more attention than we probably ever wanted, thought we could have, or maybe even some days wanna have. And so I think it's an incredibly exciting time to do this work. And, and the way that I, I describe it to people is to say, we got really, you know, I've built up um, muscles for swimming upstream. I use really different muscles when you swim upstream. You have to be really strong. You have to say, look, what we're doing may be very different than what the rest of the entire company is, is focused on. Well, now there is this recognition that um, environmental and social issues are really core to business strategies. We're no longer swimming upstream. We're now swimming, um, we're not swimming against the stream, we're now swimming with the stream. Mm -hmm. And what happens in that scenario is that you actually can easily start to drown. You have to have a different kind of swimming stroke in order to keep your head above water. So. I'm excited. It, you know, you could use the same analogy with sailing, right? You got to switch the 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 sail around. Come about. But but um, I'm excited. But it it means that the way the, the the programmatic initiatives that we had in place, or the 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 um the way we deployed resources in the past, may not fit the moment today. So I think for ESG professionals or DEI professionals, or if you just consider yourself, you know, someone who's been on the community investing side, we're, we're having to revisit the, the same tactics that we, you know, had yesterday will not fit today. And they certainly aren't going to fit tomorrow. Yeah. Well, I like the metaphor of using muscle because that's how I often describe CSR. It's a or corporate social responsibility, it's it's a muscle that we exercise. And since nobody has a crystal ball, the one thing I'm certain of at this point in my career is if you're regularly exercising that CSR muscle or looking at things like ESG, you're going to be more nimble. You're going to be more responsive to whatever is coming around the corner. So it's really about exercising that muscle more than it is actually having a snapshot of what the future holds. <laughs> no one would have expected COVID or you know George Floyd. And when these things happen, those, it's my opinion that leaders in organizations that lead actually have exercised that muscle, are more nimble, can speak authentically about the crisis du jour, the situation, and they have the cultural reputation, their reputational currency, I should say, to, to convince others to come along with them. Would you agree with that? Oh, I, I would agree 100%. I mean, when I, when I talk to young people about having a career in the CSR space, I tell them, if what you like is order and routine, this is definitely not the career path for you. I mean, I love the fact that no two days are ever the same. You know, I used to say no two sort of, you know, years were the same. Now we're just, we're talking about days. And that's literally the case. And there are days I come in and I have a game plan for what I need to accomplish. And, 
you know, you don't know what's what's happened in the world. Exactly, exactly. But but I think versatility is important for another reason. The the what's happening is that the issues that we work on, it used to be that you could really specialize. So for a period of time in my career, I actually worked in an in the bank's affordable housing lending business. And I had really deep expertise on um, affordable housing development, how housing really fit in to the spectrum, how you move people out of poverty. What we're finding is that people's lives are complex and community challenges are complex and they're all interconnected. And so you have to be versatile in this space also to be able, you can't, I don't think you can anymore just specialize in one issue area. You got to be able to be comfortable knowing a little bit about a lot of things. Yeah. And perhaps asking questions when you don't know. And that, yes, the imposter syndrome, that could be a scary proposition, right? Yes. Yes. I think any, you know, I I think about my role. um, It's really a privilege as part of all of this work. I I do hold very dear being the president of the city foundation and being in a grant making role. And I think that the secret of being a fantastic grant maker is being a great question asker. All the great grant makers I know and the most respected are the ones that have known how to ask questions and then play back what they've heard and use what they hear from those answers. Ladies and gentlemen, today on The Caring Economy, it's been a thrill so far to speak with Brandy McHale. She is the head of community investing and development at City and the president of City Foundation. As many of you know, City is one of the world's largest banks in over 100 countries. Um, Brandy, I wonder if you might say a little bit about Jane Fraser. I mean, she's, I believe she's the first woman to lead such a big global bank. And um, the good news is you don't hear a lot of bad things about her and, and the leadership there. Um, but maybe that's bad news. I don't know. Is she is she rocking the world? Is she have you well? How's it going? It's going well. It's going great. I mean, I will I will say a few things. Yes, she is the first um, a woman to head up a large global financial services company. But I often actually don't. I, I think the it's it's I, in no way do I want to downplay that. But the novelty of that, I just tell people she's a great CEO. I think I've worked now under five different CEOs in my career here at City. And I've had a couple of um, jaunts outside of City. I've gone, I've worked in some other other places as well. She's just a really great leader. And I think for me, the differentiator here is that I've never felt more empowered to be accountable and to for the decisions that we're making and to really lead and to make those tough choices. You know, working in large corporations or any large organization, internal politics are a fact of life. And I feel like one thing that Jane has really brought to us is to to be bold, but also stand by our boldness and to not let that worry about the political impacts internally affect your decision making. Um, can you give us a couple examples of maybe your favorite projects or initiatives at City that you're proud of that will illuminate the sort of day-to-day work that you and your team are doing? Yeah, um, I'm. There's there are many. So I I like you know I have three children. I tell them all privately. They're all my favorite. But you know, so it's hard to to pick a favorite. But I'll I'll just talk I'm about. I'm sure things. you're not the first parent to do that. <laughs> yeah, but I'll I'll just I'll. 
I think what I'll do is highlight a few things where I what I feel like I personally went out towards the frontier and the company really backed a, a big idea. So the first is our work on racial equity. Um, after the murder of George Floyd, like many companies, we asked ourselves, what could we do? And we stepped back and said, well, let's ask that question a little differently. What is the role of a financial institution in addressing racial equity? We came to the conclusion that the racial wealth gap, which actually has its roots in, uh, you know, in slavery in the US, still those impacts are being felt today. And if you were to hold the wealth of white households in the US today, exactly where it is and not let it grow any further, it would take more than 200 years for black households to catch up. If you add on top of that, looking at um, demographic changes that are occurring in this country, it's not only bad from a social standpoint, this just is really bad from an economic standpoint to allow this to continue. Mm -hmm. So we said, what is our role as a financial institution? Um, what can we do to help address the racial wealth gap? To one, deepen understanding about what it is and then effective approaches. And so we launched our action for racial equity commitment, which represents a billion plus dollars in strategic business initiatives designed to increase home ownership, entrepreneurship, a range of things that we can do, along with some strategic philanthropy. So really proud of that. It, we led with our core business capabilities. We innovated additionally through philanthropy, and it really has been an all-in effort for the company. But the other piece of it that's so important is that we used our voice on this issue, and we've been very transparent reporting every six months on our effort and really trying to bring others to the table. I think um, it's interesting that banks are a unique type of entity in the private sector and that the, our ability to connect with our clients, with others is just multiplied. So, you know, you have that multiplier effect. So really proud of that, of that work that we've done. Um, the second thing I would say is the creation of the City Impact Fund. Mm -hmm. um, a few years ago, um, person I work for, Ed Schuyler, who runs all of public affairs here at City, um, who's just a fantastic champion of our thinking out of the box about this work, said, you know, what, what size should the foundation be? And we started to have a conversation about this. And we said, you know, maybe, well, again, we need to not think about a vertical, but think about our toolkit and realize that there were a whole new generation of social innovators out in the world. And traditionally, they'd all been nonprofits, but now we're seeing for-profit companies rising up and, and entrepreneurs, for-profit entrepreneurs. And so the Impact Fund is designed to provide that early equity support to private sector um, to entrepreneurs whose businesses are the nature of what they do is solving a social or environmental challenge. So really excited about that work. Um, and I think that that um, the third piece I would say is uh, we should not forget how important nonprofits and NGOs are in our society and globally how important they are. They are a safety net. 
they are um, often, uh, they're an engine of social innovation. And one of the things I'm uh, really proud of is that the City Foundation was an early adopter of this trust-based philanthropy model. And we moved saying we are going to um, direct more and more of our um, grant-making support towards general operating support grants and capacity building grants towards these very special social entrepreneurs in our society. They know what their communities need. They are the experts. We have to stop thinking of ourselves as knowing more than they do. And let's write a check and get out of their way. Interesting. Um, if people want to follow up with you or your colleagues about any of the things we're discussing, what's the best way? Is it over LinkedIn or Twitter or through the website? Yeah. Well, certainly um, LinkedIn. Uh, love to hear from people. Um, please um, uh, look at the City Foundation website for all you know information on on all of our grant making programs. Um, but definitely, you know, tracking us, uh, tracking City more broadly also on social media. So I I really want to say that I think the final thing that when I look back on on the past twenty five plus years and I think about success. It's that I'm not the voice, the sole voice on this topic here in the company. And I think the companies that are going to be known for really being leaders in CSR are ones where there are many voices throughout the institution talking about these issues. So there are a lot of people at City to follow. So I'd say follow, you know, follow City on LinkedIn or Twitter and, and you'll hear more. Now, the last question I want to ask you, the way I always ask my guests is pearls of wisdom. You've given several throughout today, but I wonder if you have any sort of final thoughts or reflections on what you might recommend to either the young Brandy McHale out there or maybe even a more seasoned person who's been disrupted mid-career or or anything that you think um, are almost mantra-like for you in finding a purpose-driven life or a purpose-driven career. Yeah. I, I, what I would say is I want to go back to this idea of versatility. Um, I think that one of the things when I'm talking is certainly to our um, new employees across the company that aren't in my space, but you know maybe they're working on a trading floor in the investment bank, to say, stop and, and think about what you can do in your current role. Um, and sometimes it's not the business of doing but it's also the business of learning and, and, um, and being part of the dialogue. And I would say, I just think in the moment that we're living in, in this where polarization and divisiveness are just have become the norm. Um, my words of wisdom is, is let's all just every day, I, I try to say to myself, what did I do today to try to be a bridge builder? Sometimes that doesn't mean doing something new. It means learning something new or just taking a moment to try to understand different perspectives. I love that. I often talk about the concept of service. I think um, we're on this planet. The happiest people I know, the most successful I know are really service oriented people. And I also chase, I, I also quickly say serving others is not necessarily giving them what they want. 
right? It, but it is being of service to others. And I, I really do believe that. And I saw that from the start with you when you shared that bit about your volunteerism early on when you could have been just a reckless teen or young woman going <laughs> off partying with your time off. So Brandy McHale, thank you so much for joining us today on The Caring Economy. Ladies and gentlemen, again, we've had Brandy McHale. She's head of community investing and development at City and the president of the City Foundation. I hope you'll come back next year and tell us a little bit more about how things are going. And I look forward to it. Thank you. I'll be back. Thank you for listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Usnick. Please share your comments and questions with Toby via Twitter at tusnick or LinkedIn at Toby Usnick. And thank you for sharing The Caring Economy with your friends and colleagues.